Welcome to WMRE's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at WMRE. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. David, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm very excited about this week's topic. We have a guest. Let's get into it. Yes, this week we have with us uh, Ramin Kamfar, who's the founder and CEO at Blue Rock. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, David. Absolutely. I'm excited to hear uh, all about everything that uh, your company's w- working on. Um, before I ask any you know, of those questions, if you want to just take a minute and give the audience a little background on yourself and the company, that would be great. Sure. I've been doing this for a long time. I started my career actually as an investment banker at Lehman Brothers in the late 80s. I uh, left Lehman in the mid-90s as a vice president uh, to build a company. And that company, uh, which was a startup when I started it, uh, what I built ended up as Einstein Brothers Bagels okay. with uh, 800 stores and uh, 10,000 employees and half a billion dollars in sales. And uh, you may have seen them across the United States. Uh, we got to a size where I thought that my job was done in building it out to the early stages, handed it over to professional retail management, exited that. And uh, it was after a break that I started Blue Rock with a partner. And the idea behind Blue Rock was what we saw was that the individual investor had lost the ability to access alternative investments. Normally, the individual would get it through their defined benefit pension plan at the corporation that they worked for, whether it was IBM or GM or GE or American Airlines. Uh, It it was customary to have a defined benefit pension plan. Those pension plans then pulled the money, invested it in uh, alternative investments, and that provided access to the individual investor as the world had changed and the defined benefit plans had gone away and companies had switched to either defined contribution where they're giving people a certain amount of dollars or to 401ks or IRAs or other alternative <clears throat> retirement vehicles. That money was piling up, but the individual had lost access to alternatives which are necessary to make the portfolio efficient. So they were stuck with investing only in stocks and bonds, the 60-40 portfolio. And as mm-hmm. you saw very clearly last year, 60-40 is uh, old technology and very inefficient. It does not get you on the efficient frontier, which as you know, is where you get the maximum return for any level of risk. To do that, you need to be able to access alternative investments. And we started Blue Rock with a view that we would deliver the same access that you would have had as an investor if you had a defined benefit pension plan in a structure that people are familiar with, which is a mutual fund structure. Mm-hmm. So that was the thesis with the benefits of mutual funds, which is low load, low fees, transparency, liquidity, and so on and so forth. So that was the thesis. And uh, we've uh, just celebrated our 21st year in business. And uh, we have over a hundred thousand, uh, uh, over a hundred thousand happy investors uh, that have enjoyed our returns, and over fifteen billion dollars of 
<clears throat> assets under management. And at this point, you have a whole group of companies in different ways to invest. And can you talk about some of the, you know, some of the structures that you're using? You mentioned mutual funds, but I think you're also uh, in the interval fund space and you have a REIT and you have some, there's like a whole menu that you have, right? Yeah, uh, there is, David. We, uh, I just mentioned the interval fund because we were the, <clears throat> we were the pioneer in that and using the interval fund structure to do actively manage institutional real estate. But we, but you're correct. The offerings generally fall under two broad categories. One is the, our REIT business. We have public REITs and we have private REITs that invest in direct, directly in real estate. What kind of real estate? Well, we we look for what we call up escalators. All real estate is not created equal. If you look at the major sectors, you have, for example, office, retail, uh, apartments, and well, I should say residential today because it's apartments and single family and industrial, which is warehouses. Now, two of those are up escalators. They have very long-term strong demographic tailwinds, uh, and that's uh, the warehouse industrial business, and that's the residential business. So we're focused in those two areas primarily. We don't do any office, which as I'm sure you've been, you and your listeners have been reading, uh, is going through significant challenges and in our uh, viewpoint will that will continue to play out negatively for that sector over the next five plus years. And obviously, retail as as and because of uh, issues like work from home, which creates all this excess office space and the move out of the out of the big cities. You just mentioned that you moved out of New York. Yeah, that's happening all throughout the country, uh, out of the big cities. So creating excess office space and putting pressure on those valuations that will play out over the next several years. And same with retail, as shopping has moved online. The beneficiary of that on the other side of the trade, for, of the retail trade, for example, as shopping has moved online, is industrial. Because uh, when you're buying at Amazon or any other online, it takes a lot of warehousing, both big warehouses to initiate the shipping and hold the inventory to much smaller hubs, uh, even close to the customer, which is called last mile. And so you need a tremendous amount of that. We're underbuilt. Uh, I think there's about 2 billion square feet that needs to go up over the next four years alone. So we're big investors in that area and also in residential. As people move out of the big city, the job growth and employment growth is growing rapidly in what we call the smile stakes. You start on the middle of the East Coast, go down all the way. So Georgia, the Georgia, Carolinas, Tennessee, Florida, go all the way across to Texas and then go up to Arizona. Nevada, Colorado, uh, you know, they're saying tremendous job growth, tremendous employment growth, and that are underbuilt both in terms of single family and multifamily. So we have a big focus on that. So that's in our direct real estate business. And then we have our fund business. Our fund mm -hmm. business is focused on the interval fund. They are a type of mutual fund that uh, provides, that takes money in on a daily basis and provides uh, liquidity on a quarterly basis. And the reason for the quarterly liquidity is we're balancing the, uh, the, the and being able to provide liquidity to the investor and being able to invest in what are semi-liquid assets 
Uh, so getting the and getting the attractive risk return characteristics there uh, and delivering that to the delivering that benefit to the individual. So it's really two separate uh, business lines on the on the interval fund side of the business. We also have a credit product mm. that invests in senior secured loans through CLOs. Uh, which have tremendously had, again, we're looking for up escalators in those areas. And when you look at CLOs and risk reward, they've had tremendous, tremendous risk reward characteristics, the asymmetrical from a risk reward point of view, i.e. more reward in favor of the investor versus, versus the risk. So that's an overview. I'm happy to drill down, drill down more as, as you'd like. Sure. So the interval funds, that seems to, there, there seems to be, increasing interest in that structure. I, I feel like I've been hearing that a lot more in the past, maybe 12 to 24 months. And um, yeah, it seems like, you know, you guys have been sort of a pioneer in that space. Why do you think that that, that, that kind of structure seems to be getting more interest and what are, you know, can you go a little deeper to like what, what some of the, you know, why it's an attractive way to be doing things? Sure. Because what we're investing in is that institutional uh, product, whether it's credit product or real estate product through the interval fund, an individual investor can't invest in those directly. The in investor, the underlying investor in in the in in the product that we're investing in, generally needs to be an institution. It's a large ticket, a minimum ticket, $10, 25000000 million dollars and plus. So to build a portfolio of this, you need hundreds of millions, if not billions, of dollars. What we do through the interval fund structure is we raise money from individual investors. Our minimum investment is $2,500 or $5,000, depending on the product. And we aggregate the dollars and then invest as an institution in the underlying good product, which previously has only been available to the institution. Now, why that structure? Why an interval fund? Well, I mentioned it's a mutual fund. So it is a tried tested uh, and successful underlying product structure. The wrapper, which is a mutual fund, it's subject to the securities laws. Uh, it has a long history. People are familiar with it. So <clears throat> that is, and it's highly regulated and safe from a regulatory point of view, from a structure point of view, from an, from an investor's point of view. Second is it allows us to manage the liquidity mismatch, if you would, because normally you're, as an institution, institutions have much longer time horizons when, in, when they invest in the underlying product than individuals do. So we want to be able to provide liquidity to the investor when they need it. That's why we deliver 5% liquidity, uh, mandatory minimum 5% liquidity. We have to provide it. There are other uh, structures that uh, individuals can invest through, but those structures either don't provide the liquidity or they're, they can't provide the liquidity or they're not obligated to. They can provide it if they want to. In our structure, we have to provide the liquidity so that you know that there's available liquidity for a portion of the population, for the, the portion of the investor that wants to leave on a regular basis. So it provides, it allows us to manage that uh, manage that liquidity option. The third is a professional active management. We can we have a management team 
with extensive capabilities. And we spend a lot of time in terms of managing the underlying investments to provide uh, to provide the uh, best returns that we can to the investor. And I'm proud to say that our uh, real estate interval fund, uh, the ticker is TIPREX, Total Income Plus Real Estate Fund, uh, celebrated its 10th year. And if you compare it, its performance on a risk-adjusted basis versus Morningstar, I think, tracks uh, as 6,000 mutual funds that are open and closed and interval, not just real estate in all areas. We have the highest one. We've looked at it. We've delivered the highest risk-adjusted return, the highest Sharpe ratio across the one, three, five, seven, and 10-year period. So it's that kind of professional management and uh, that we can deliver to the to the investor. And we can deliver all of that with regulatory oversight at a very low institutional management fee with no load, with, uh, with, with transparency because it's daily valued and with liquidity on a quarterly basis. So it's a, we feel that it's tremendously efficient product for the investor. Um, so we've done some you know, research of our own audience, both on the on the wealth side of the wealth manager side, and found, I think you know, generally about sixty percent of advisors are actively recommend some kind of alternatives outside the sixty forty, you know, including real estate. So the questions that comes from you know there is like one you know I guess that how do you how are you reaching investors and how do you raise awareness among, you know, the advisor community who maybe aren't in this, looking at this kind of stuff about, you know, why, why it's something that they should be considering for their clients. That's a very good question, David. And we have a, when we started in the business, I'll tell you that we were naive and we said, Oh, we're, we're great at delivering investment returns. And, uh, people should just we assume that people would just learn about us, and then mm. we realize that that's not that's not how it works. You got to go out and tell the story, and so we have built a organization. We have a we have an affiliated broker dealer firm that employs mm. about fifty individuals, and they're focused on going out and educating the market. We don't deal with the with with the retail investor, so it's called a wholesale broker dealer. But we have a team of fifty, and that uh, comprises of investor relations, uh, due diligence, uh, national accounts, and a wholesale team, internal desk, external desk. And we uh, we, we sign selling agreements with the underlying broker dealers who have the retail clients. And then our team goes out and educates. It's, it's really a matter of education. We're very focused on education, not just how what our product is, but how it fits in the portfolio how it moves the portfolio up the efficient frontier. As you know, when you go off the efficient frontier, it's like getting extra return for free at the same at the same risk level. If your risk tolerance is X, how many, how much additional return can I get you at that level on an annual basis without increasing your risk? Or how can I, if if your target return is Y, you know, I can show you how much I can reduce your risk by adding our products into the portfolio, how they should be utilized and so on and so forth. So it's a tremendous, it's a tremendous, tremendous uh, education effort. And I can tell you that that 68% number today is much higher than uh, it was when we started uh, in the business and when we launched our interval fund. 
we would you know more than 10 years ago people would talk to us and say what, what an interval fund what's an interval fund i've never yeah. heard of it and and alternatives was even alternatives was an education now the market has really grown when we started it was about six billion a year and now it's 60 billion a year with the likes of i think blackstone coming in was a into the market was a very positive development for uh, uh for the market for the growth of it because it's all part we're all doing the same education why alternatives how it works how you should use it appropriately and and which alternatives are you know are appropriate for what portfolios at what risk tolerances yeah so you talked about this earlier as well but it seems like another challenge right now is you know folks may see the headlines about the office sector and then and even some more more broadly just saying that commercial real estate is you know this doom loop that's this terrible asset or it's going to cause all these problems but what you know you talked about earlier is that that's not that's not one of the ones you're looking at. And, I, and and that overall, there may not be, people may not appreciate that that different kinds of real estate are not all performing the same at the same time and that there's different narratives to each of these asset classes. So, I mean, I think you spoke very, you know, very earlier just about why you're in those, the, the, the places that you are. But is that also a question that you get around like, you know, misunderstanding the what you're doing and you know having to like explain you know like residential industrial are you know these have these really good drivers to them which is why we're in them that, that kind of thing yes yes again very very good point and i think part of the issue uh is the is is the real estate industry they really haven't done a good job of educating people as to what the terms mean so people look mm-hmm. people say commercial and residential when I tell people I'm in real estate, people say commercial and residential. And, right. and, and I don't really know how to answer that because they think residential is a real estate, you know, real estate broker that does single family homes and commercial is everything else. Well, that's that's not the case. You really have four sectors and the sectors, the four key sectors and some of them and, and depending on the market, the geography that you're in and depending on the sector you're in, you're in a very different cycle. We talked about uh, up and down escalators. We look for up escalators, demographic tailwinds. So that's why we're in residential. The population of the United States grows every year, and that creates households over time. The households needs, need a place to live. There's been a shift in tendency towards wanting to rent versus to own. Part of it is financial because houses have gotten so expensive compared to incomes. Incomes haven't kept up. Partial part of it recently is mortgage rates, et cetera, et cetera. So a very high tendency to rent, especially uh, in the markets that we talked about, which are experiencing population growth and income growth, uh, because people don't want to, they, people want to be mobile for their careers and not tied down, which owning a house does so that's a very long demographic tailwind and you can look out and say okay over the next five and ten years there's undersupply we're, we're we have four million we're four million houses short uh, or rental houses rental units apartments etc cetera, etc cetera, short and that's going to contribute to this continued increase in pricing and we can invest that and deliver great returns to the investor that same with industrial as Retail sales have come down. 
the stores you you look around and you see a lot of closed stores where that retail sales have gone up. They haven't gone down. Where's that moved to? It's moved to Amazon. It's moved to Walmart.com. It has moved to other places that people are uh, <clears throat> people are buying online, and that will continue. So we're again short on warehouses. We look at that and we say, okay, we can deliver a tremendous return to investors. We wouldn't touch office. We haven't done office since 2007 because of work from home. Even before work from home. Office had, you know, significant challenges and work from home has just destroyed that segment in our point of view. And retail, as I said, has been going through uh, something that office will go through over the next five years because of moving online and so on and so forth. So it's not really commercial and residential. You have to look at the sectors, uh, which is, as I said, retail and office and then residential and residential and, and, and industrial. And even then. There are times where the market peaks. We had a publicly traded REIT that we turned around and we sold to in in 2021. We, we looked at market pricing for apartments. It was focused on apartments. We had uh, 25,000 plus units, <clears throat> very attractive portfolio, but we couldn't, we're actively out looking for, uh, uh, for acquisitions and the pricing didn't make sense to us. There was nothing that we could buy that was attractive. And we said, well, the textbook answer is we should go sell all our, our apartments and put ourselves out of a job, you know, in that read. And that's exactly what we did. We turned around, we ran an auction and we ended up selling it to Blackstone for $3.3 billion. And again, I'm proud to say that we delivered the highest total shareholder return of any public read, not just multifamily. There's 150 public reads in the one, two, three, and four year period, uh, which is, which is how public reads are, are, are judged by. So you have to have a sense of the market, know the market, know when the pricing is getting too high, when pricing is getting attractive. Now, pricing is getting much more attractive on apartments these days We're where we've built a large single family portfolio where we find pricing is attractive. We've built and we're continuing to build a big industrial portfolio. So you need to look at it. You can't just say commercial, residential or real estate. Yes, office will have a lot of problems and you're going to see a lot of headlines, negative headlines about office, about commercial real estate, but it's really when you read it, it's about yeah. office over the next five years. Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're being very careful about that with our own coverage just because, you know, I, I think we do have an understanding that it's like office, you know, that, that, commercial real estate is is too broad a brush and i think you know when the going is good it's like it's easy to lump everything together but it's in times like this when there's real differences in sectors that that then comes back to haunt you by like maybe trying to have too simple of a narrative when in reality there's you know real estate's always been a local business and it's always been driven by fundamentals and and different you know, different property types are are going in are, are not all linked together in the way that they're operating all right. Well, we've been talking now for over 20 minutes. So you've given, you know, I think given us a lot of your, your time before we wrap up, uh, is there, are there any, you know, things that we didn't touch on or any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave with the audience? Uh, no, I appreciate you having me on. And I think this is what you, what, what you're doing is extremely important in terms of helping educate the investor base. It is really at the end of the day, all about education. And uh, so thank you for your efforts on that front. That's good. Well, thank you for coming on the, on the show and thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. 
Please like, follow, and share this podcast with your friends. For everyone at WMRE, this is Wendy McConnell inviting you to visit wealthmanagement.com slash real dash estate for a wealth of knowledge. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WMRE or Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.